really, I think we left that situation feeling almost invincible, right? Like we kind of were um, able to persevere and um, kind of stretch some of those muscles, not only individually as we face different challenges, but together, right? And start to understand what each other's strengths were and how we're able to balance each other out. Um, and, you know, we learned a lot of things the hard way, um, but it's, it's still, we still own it. So Cash Cow um, is an amazing, amazing property, um, but it was really the test to see, you know, where your grit is, like how, how bad you want it. Um, and so that, that's definitely how that first project went. This episode of the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast is sponsored by Blacker Pockets. Blacker Pockets is an online urban real estate investing community designed to educate and inform you on the benefits of investing in the inner city as well as provide you with the tips and strategies to successfully do so. You can find Blacker Pockets on Instagram at, at BlackerPockets. SellerFinancingOnly.com. Do you own a home, condominium, apartment building, or land free and clear? Have you ever considered selling it? Well, not just sell it. You hold the mortgage and become the bank. Welcome to the world of seller financing. Instead of the potential buyer getting a mortgage from a bank or credit union, you give them the mortgage. You set the interest rate. The buyer pays you every month for 5, 10, 15, or 30 years, whatever you and the buyer agree on. Seller financing only. Join us today. Yeah, this is the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. This is episode number 75. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire, founder of Todd Capital Investment Club, also the founder of Todd Acquisitions. Today, this is the Millionaire Podcast where we talk to African-American business owners and investors because we feel that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. With us today, we have the infamous Charm City Buyers. Hey. And, um, <laughs> all over Instagram, all over Hood Estates, all over the place doing great stuff and inspiring the people. So I wanted to have them come on the show because I feel like it's kind of been a long time coming. I should have asked them to do this a long time ago. <laughs> so, uh, welcome. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. So, can you tell us more about who you are and where you're from? Sure. So, I'm Khalil Lukta. I'm a beautiful wife. Yep. I'm Kiara. Originally from Baltimore, Maryland, started investing in Hartford, Connecticut. Yes. So I'm actually not from Baltimore. I'm close born and raised here. I'm actually from outside of Philadelphia. Um, so I usually tell people, I used to be able to hear um, parties and music and stuff from Lincoln University's campus. So I'm from like right up the street from Lincoln in Pennsylvania, um, in the middle of, of nowhere's land uh, in PA. So you guys looked at me when I asked that first question because you probably thought I was going to start with the current event. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to back to that right now. And um, I mean, now that we know who you are, we know you're from, there's been mm -hmm. a lot of talk in the news and people actually like this segment of shows I've done in the past. And it's just kind of talking about what's going on and what's your perspective on it. So, I mean, we see that Kaepernick is signed to Nike. We've seen that he's actually been being funded by them, I guess, the entire time. Yeah. I mean, then we also saw how people are kind of responding to that on the internet. So, I mean, what's your take? What's your opinion on the current event of the day? So for me, I was actually really excited when I saw the, um, the announcement that Nike has kind of been behind all of the great stuff he's been doing. And um, 
you know, I'm I'm definitely team Nike right now. Um, and I'm really excited about um, a lot of folks talking about not only supporting the organization, but buying stock. Um, I love that discussion. Um, I'm, you know, I've seen, I've been giggling at all the memes and stuff. People talking about folks uh, burning their, their Motograss 3000s and like all these old shoes um, that, you know, we like the, the Jordans and we like the, um, anyway. Um, so, so yeah, I think that um, I'm really excited. I'm excited by it. I think it's a great move for Nike. I think that they've been, if you look at like the Serena Williams and all the folks that they, LeBron James, a lot of folks that they're um, backing, it seems really part of, of them. Um, but I'm just excited that, you know, it's all out. We know who's been supporting them and that it's Nike. Yeah, I just wish we knew about it a little earlier, to be completely honest. I mean, it's dope. It's really dope that Nike's um, supporting him. And I hope it's you know, a genuine place, come from, comes from a genuine place where Nike and the executives and whomever is in charge of marketing is, is really taking a liking to Colin Kaepernick. Um, I've been listening to Nelly Air Force Ones all day. I'm about to give me two more carriers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really a good place. That's cool. You guys are from Baltimore, though. Are you guys Under Armour people or you guys not really fans of Under Armour? <laughs> um, love Under Armour. I love what they're doing with the city and how mm -hmm. they've helped um, job creation and, and a bunch of different things. Um, but, you know, it's Nike's time right now. Yeah. Cool. So circling back to real estate. Um, yeah. What did you guys do before real estate? So I was, I was a corporate gal. So before real estate... Um, I worked at a Fortune 100 company um, running or doing a lot in their leadership world. I was actually in a leadership development program straight out of college. And then um, after that, worked at a startup, a software development company running their operations. So I was in a lot of, of business ops leadership um, strategy type work. Yeah, before real estate, I was in sales. Um, and before sales, it was really college at that point. <laughs> um, cool, cool. So um, when did you guys decide to get into real estate? 2012. Yeah. 20, 2011. Yeah, we um, we had talked a lot about a bunch of different ways. We knew that we were fresh out of college at the time, first of all. So um, very early on, we realized that nine to five forever until retirement probably wasn't going to be our thing. And so we spent a lot of time talking about, well, what does that look like look like what does life look like um what were our goals and we kind of worked our way backwards and found ourselves uh really aligning with real estate and so kind of made the decision around like june or july of um of 2012 after we'd done some some due diligence and then we had bought our first property by september, september. um so we didn't spend a whole lot of time you know, idle and, and overanalyzing, made the decision, and then we jumped headfirst um, right into real estate. So I have two questions that kind of stem from that. The first is, what were you doing from the time you decided to get in to the point that you actually got in? Mm -hmm. The other question is, what made you the kind of person that just jumped in and didn't sit on the sidelines for a long time? <laughs> um, so before we were we jumped in and purchased our first property in September, it was only a couple of months, but um, learning as much as we could about that specific market, about real estate in general, about creative financing tactics, about um, valuing houses and contractors and uh, pricing out you know, estimates for bids and things. 
Um, so just doing a lot of that kind of free, free work, studying up and, and being able to um, hit the ground running for when that happened. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We spent, we started to go to like RIA meetings, yeah. um, just to kind of surround ourselves at that time with other, other folks who were thinking about real estate and talking about real estate. So we got comfortable with the language, the lingo, the process. Um, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time, you know, um, going the whole like guru route, <laughs> but we did spend a lot of time networking, building relationships and relationships that we still hold today um, from folks up in Connecticut that we met kind of going there, you know, having folks getting used to seeing us right. and um, and networking with others in this space that really kind of got our mind where it needed to be so that when the opportunity came, we were ready to pull the trigger. And I think what attracted us to each other in college was our ability to just jump straight into things. Mm -hmm. um, we recognized that in each other. I remember in college, uh, I was pushing for a new position on campus to help with community inclusion and equity. Um, and talked to Kiara about it. She was like, yeah, the, the president of my school was very interested in that. And I went straight up to him like, hey, how can you help me? How can I help you? How can we work together? We were just very go-getter oriented from, from the beginning. Um, do you guys feel like being athletes helped you guys with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Yeah, man. The regiment, the training. Um, we were both D1 college athletes, track athletes. Uh, I was a pole vaulter. Kiara was a sprinter. Um, and uh, being on that year-round schedule, um, having to compete really against yourself, not necessarily other people, um, being able to push yourself, um, kind of motivate yourself, um, work within a team, but also be able to to find what drives you is fundamental. Yeah, the reason I ask that question is because a lot of people, like I always tell people, there's no such thing as wasted effort. And so basically like anything that you've done in life, that skill, that mentality is gonna carry on into other things that you take on in life. And we've kind of seen that with Kobe Bryant and his investing. Yes. He's had massive success in investing because he's a massively successful person on the basketball court. Yeah, 100% agree. Yeah, Absolutely. everything's preparing you for something. Yep. So, why real estate? So I, so I was, I've always been really passionate about real estate. So I was like the nerd that, um, because I, because of where I'm from, there's a lot of farmland and all that kind of stuff. And so I watch farms being sold and new construction and developments being built. And so watch kind of that process and that shift um, in the community. And then really young, like we would be riding around with my parents and my little brother and we'd see a house that was vacant or, you know, whatever in distress. Like, mom, we should totally buy that house. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so I've always kind of had that, um, that vision. And so it kind of came, it just kind of came full circle. Um, and when we were talking about what we were going to do, I'm like, you know, I've always wanted to invest in real estate. At the time, I didn't completely know what that meant. Um, I, I actually had did like a independent study in college and everything. Um, but it kind of, you know, like I said, it, all the, the stars kind of aligned um, and we essentially fell into it. One night we were sitting on the couch and um, Kiara brought it up and we were trying to figure out what type of venture we were gonna jump into. And um, I know for me, it was very much, uh, it checked a lot of boxes. I know if I'm gonna put a lot of myself into something, I'm gonna want a lot of return back. Mm -hmm. um, very demanding in that way. 
uh, I think the word is mercai. It's an Italian word. It means that you put something of your soul into your work. And if I'm going to really put myself into something, it's got to be something that's going to have a big impact. It's going to have a strong ROI. It's going to have um, kind of, there's potential for a massive change, positive change um, on a global scale. And that's where, where my mind was when Kara said, okay, real estate, like, it sounds better than selling candy. <laughs> Let's do real estate. <laughs> no shade to anybody who sells candy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the original hustle, to be honest. Yeah, candy the and middle school hustles. Both <laughs> candy in high school or middle school. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason why you guys are here is to discuss Baltimore. Um, it was so funny because I didn't know that you guys were on the call when I made that comment about Baltimore. And I mean, in actuality, I have looked at the Baltimore market. And one thing I've realized, though, is you don't really know a market until you're there. So it's like, it's one thing to look at pictures. It's one thing to look at Zillow. It's one thing to look at Google Maps. It's mm -hmm. another to literally go and put boots on the ground. Yep. Uh, and it can be said about Ohio, Michigan, things like that. So why did you guys feel comfortable investing in Baltimore? And do they still have those streets where it's just like nobody there? <laughs> like <laughs> Um, so Baltimore, um, so like I say, Chloe's born and raised in Baltimore, right? So we knew, so a few things, right? We started in, in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and when we were having Michaela, we knew we wanted to be closer to home. So we moved back to Baltimore and that's where um, we decided we were gonna put our roots down as a family. But why invest in Baltimore? I think anyone who comes to the city and gives um, the city the chance and the time to really like get to know what Baltimore, what the pulse of Baltimore is all about, you quickly find that there's so much culture here. There's so much beauty here. Um, the the history of Baltimore is is really um, amazing as well. And it just has like really dope people, right? So so just as a city in general, Baltimore is amazing. Like the it's one of the largest um, from a square mile perspective, one of the largest cities in the country, right? There's a lot here. Um, and so I fell in love with the culture of Baltimore and the people of Baltimore. And there's so many folks trying to do such amazing things here. And I think that if you watch The Wire or you watch the news, you're not going to have a clue, right? Um, so that's number one. And number two, I think um, with all of the investing that we've done in networking and having seat, a seat at some of the tables that we're, we're uh, fortunate enough to be a part of, we're able to see not only um, what's going on right now, but what's going to be happening in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, the, the development in the city from a commercial perspective and from a residential perspective, um, seeing that the city is completely behind a lot of the changes in the area um, in terms of providing incentives to individuals to move um, things forward, um, and just kind of taking a look at the pulse of, of, of the people and the community members and hearing stories and understanding where they would like to see their, their communities, it, it was a no-brainer for us. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and it doesn't, and it's it's already, like you kind of, you go and you drive around Baltimore and you see, so this is years ago, right? Driving around Baltimore and you see kind of the dilapidation and you see the vacant houses and, and the blocks and stuff like that. And then, you know, two, three blocks over, it's a completely different space. 
And so with Baltimore being block to block, we knew that eventually these areas are going to start to become overpopulated and they're going to grow. And so what we did when we first started buying was kind of buy like in the middle of hotspots, right? So we'd buy like kind of, you know, between, um, for example, there's a, there's a neighborhood called Patterson Park and uh, Johns Hopkins Hospital isn't terribly far. Now there's, there's really, really nice areas close, very close to both of them. And then kind of in the middle was, uh, you know, it wasn't like the best area. And so um, we were we were buying there a couple years ago. Well, now houses are selling for like six, seven times what we bought that house for. And that's over the last four, five years. Um, and so because of all the commercial investment and jobs starting to come back and being higher paying jobs, folks are really looking for quality housing and they're running out of space in these little pockets that they try to put people into. And so these neighborhoods are growing and that's really pushing um, change in Baltimore. And, and obviously there's there's a lot of, of positives and a lot of challenges with those changes and how quickly they're happening. But things are absolutely changing. Now, can you drive down the street and, and see all vacants on one block? Absolutely. But is that maybe next to you know, a brand new restaurant that people are pushing or a brewery or, you know, a few blocks from, you know, something else that's coming up very soon. Absolutely. People are already talking about renovating a lot of the blocks and negotiating with the city. And so you see them, but what you don't see is all these things happening behind the scenes that has plans for those same blocks over the next two, three, five, seven years. Um, so it's, it's definitely a long game in Baltimore, but um, I think it's going to be a very, uh, very great long game. So what do you tell people here in Baltimore and they say, Baltimore, why would you invest in Baltimore? Uh, I tell them, look, um, you know, at some point in the next couple of years, it doesn't matter where you purchase in Baltimore, everything is going to appreciate because that's just what's happening in the city. Yeah. So um, if your perspective is uh, from outside of the city, then um tap somebody who's inside and, and, and hear about what's happening. Absolutely. And turn off the news. <laughs> just just turn it off. Spend some time talking to people and, and shut off uh, sh- shut off the channel six The crazy <laughs> part about the news is if you really watch the news, you only hear the stories of murder and robberies and kidnapping. Exactly. So why would you expect anything different in regard to real estate? They're going to show you the bad stuff. They're not going to mm-hmm. show you the great things that are happening there. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you about your first deal. What did your very first real estate deal look like? So our first deal, we actually bought a three family shell um, and we ended up doing a $120,000 renovation. (laughs) So our first deal was, like I said before, jumping headfirst in um, because we were able to make all the mistakes you could possibly think of. Um, And through that, we were um, really, I think we left that situation feeling almost invincible, right? Like we kind of were um, able to persevere and um, kind of stretch some of those muscles, not only individually as we face different challenges, but together, right? And start to understand what each other's strengths were and how we're able to balance each other out um, and you know, we learned a lot of things the hard way, um, but it's it's still, we still own it. 
so cash cow um, is an amazing, amazing property. Um, but it was really the test to see, you know, where your grit is, like how how bad you want it. Um, and so that that's definitely how that first project went. We were managing contractors from seven hours away, um, not letting them know that we had already moved out of state. Um, looking for realtors to, to find tenants and do walkthroughs and make sure lockboxes were, it was it was one of those deals where uh, literally it was jumping into the deep end and just either sink or swim. Right, and then we started, we decided, Mika- or we found out Michaela was gonna be joining us like right smack in the mid uh, process of all of this. So it was a lot going on. So like close said, we moved from Connecticut um, during the renovation, like there was a lot going on at the time. Yeah. So you know, we grow fast. There's a lot, man. There's so much. Every time somebody says something, it's like it's packed with so many lessons. Um, (laughs) Absolutely. One of the things that I heard is that you guys pretty much grew through going through the problems, which I think a lot of times people what they do is they try to avoid the problems. They want that flawless Mm -hmm. deal, but if you Mm -hmm. flawless deal, you don't get the invincibility that you guys took out of that deal. Um, which is awesome. I think that's what's really cool that I like. I'm going to ask you guys about this later. It's just the whole the couple thing. I think that's mm-hmm. like a super hack that people don't tap into. And I think that if you don't hack into that, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. And the other thing that you guys said, which is kind of where I want to go with this, is purchasing properties that were shells. Because I hear you guys say that a lot. Like you guys buy a lot of shells. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like shell, shell, shell comes over. Um, <laughs> A lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people want to buy something that they're just doing a light rehab. Um, mm-hmm. Why do you guys go the other way and buy things that are complete full rehab? Because there's less, less traffic in the high road. There's just fewer people, right? It's, it's less competition when you're looking at a property with um, busted joists and soft floors and you can't walk in this room because it's too much stuff. Most people are like, oh, no, nah, I'm okay. And I'm like, okay, you don't want it? Good. <laughs> Next, who, who else is out? <laughs> and we make decisions from, from a property analysis perspective. We let the data make our decision. We let the numbers make our decision. We let the analysis make our decision. We don't get emotional about real estate anymore, right? And so we don't walk into a property and get all antsy because because the ceiling has a stain on it, <laughs> like some people may. We're like, okay, we got we got to be able to, to to replace a roof. Now we got to make sure we have the return required to make me deal with replacing the roof, right? Like, it's really a matter of of letting the numbers and the data um, and the analysis tell us which properties to buy. And and you know, to close point, you know, we come across more shells um, because we're willing to look at it because we don't get we're not scared. You know, they don't scare us. Yeah, I think the, the bigger the rehab, as long as the numbers work, the better. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, like whether you're replacing a few plumbing pipes or all of the plumbing pipes, whether you're opening up one or two walls or opening all of the walls, it's just a matter of, of getting it done. Right. Um, having proficient team members who are capable of doing it and um, uh, working through whatever obstacles could potentially pop up. Right. And you know your scope of work. If your scope of work is do everything, there's a whole lot less, <laughs> a whole lot less surprises. Yeah, you don't have to worry so much about your con- 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 contingency. Right. You're opening up all the walls. And you already see everything. Right. 
right? Start from scratch, done. <laughs> right. How did you find contractors and how did you manage them from a distance successfully? Hmm. That was tricky. Yeah. So in Connecticut, it was um, a result of us doing all that networking and pre-work um, as we were uh, finding our deals and, and even after like having conversations with people and networking and connected with a contractor up there for that first deal. Um, when we were in Baltimore, we spent a lot of time because we had rentals. We like to try to test out contractors on like maintenance kind of jobs or turnovers or stuff like that. Um, and, and so we like to keep what I call like a bench, like we have a bench of contractors so we can switch people out at any given time, um, to be able to, to keep things moving. Because in addition to, you know, all the flips that we have, we have, you know, 20 rental units that we constantly need to be able to, you know, keep active and handle things. So there's always something going on. So we have a lot of opportunity to test folks out, um, before getting them involved in, in the flips. And then we have bigger contractors that can handle like the really huge stuff. Um, you know, we have a few of those that we keep on the bench as well. Were you guys um, doing a lot of videos, a lot of phone calls, a lot of texts, pictures, all that stuff? All of the above and more. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to um, deploy all of your tools at that point to be able to successfully manage a, a contractor and construction team from abroad, essentially. Right. Um, it was, you know, it wasn't always a, a, a friendly, nice approach. It was um, very much like, <laughs> got to know who's in charge, right? Um, got to have eyes on site and got to be able to manage those people to make sure that they show up and they're uh, giving you the feedback that you need. You got to play a little bit of a political game. Um, if you've got kind of something to dangle over them, hey, you want this relationship with this lender? Uh, finish this job out right and I got you. You know, those types of things. And, um, you get the jobs done. Nice. It's, it's a, an example of what we were talking about earlier, where you run through problems and you get success and skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to be the theme of this show. But mm -hmm. one of the things I always tell people is like, if you can manage a property from Connecticut to Baltimore, you can be on a beach managing the same property. You can Absolutely. be in a different country managing the same property. So. And I, I think in the very beginning, that's that's how we wanted to establish the business right. mm -hmm. as much as possible that, um, you know, as much as possible, have it self-sufficient, be able to manage it from anywhere in the world um, so that we could have that freedom for ourselves and our family. Absolutely. And I think that first, that first property where we were in Connecticut, I mean, when we were in Maryland and the properties in Connecticut were self-managing, it set the foundation for how we ran everything in Baltimore. And so if we automated everything in Connecticut, we automatic, automated everything in Baltimore. If I'm not gonna run to plunge a toilet in Connecticut from, from Baltimore, then I'm darn sure I'm not gonna drive a couple blocks up and do it for someone else. So it, it really forced us to automate and create processes and build a team, um, which helped us, essentially helped us scale the way we did because it wasn't you know, just us, because starting out, you know, we're still doing our nine to fives as well. Um, so, so um, being able to, to build those processes were critical. It, I, I laughed because that's one thing I tell people a lot. They always say, how do you do it from out of state? And I tell them if I was in the same state, I still have to text somebody. <laughs> I still right. have to call them. I still need pictures. I'm not going yep. there for everything yep. I'm down the street. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you guys flip to rent or do you flip and then you actually sell out of the property? Both. Okay. Both. So we'll we'll buy vacants to renovate and rent and then we'll we'll buy vacants to renovate and flip. 
depends on what the um, one, like what their numbers telling us, right? We make data driven decisions, um, but also the neighborhoods that we um, target are different because Baltimore is is very block to block. Some neighborhoods are highly rentals, um, and some neighborhoods are more attractive as um, as flips. And so that's kind of how we um, differentiate the two. But most of our rentals we bought vacant um, and renovated and and rented them out. How many rentals do you guys own right now? We have we have eighteen rental units. We have eighteen rental units, right? Yeah. <laughs> we have eighteen <laughs> rental units, and then we also um, well actually we also started to do some property management as well because we were already had already automated doing eighteen. What's a couple more? And so we are managing um, twenty six units um, right now. So vast majority of them are ours. We actually. Don't typically tell people we're property managing, but surprise, we yeah. do property management as well in Baltimore. Nice. So I want to talk to you because I didn't know that you can automate property management in the way that you have. So how do you guys automate your property management, especially for 18 deals? That's a lot. And so we have we have an online system. People pay their rent online. They submit maintenance requests online. I can uh, deploy maintenance requests through that same system. There's like an app. Um, so a lot of that is all done um, using using our, our app. We actually use Buildium. Um, so Buildium is the system that we use to manage all of our rentals. Um, and we have, as we've continued to scale and we have all of these different things going on, um, we have a, a team on the business side, on the back office side. And so um, she helps us with a lot of the property tenant management stuff as well. Um, so, but for the most part, we just automated it using systems. Yeah, from, from tenant acquisition to mm-hmm. all the tasks that come next to um, kind of the quote-unquote exit interview phase, um, everything is as automated as possible. Yep. Technology well, is great um, when it works. <laughs> I guess the next question is, how do you finance your deals? So it depends on the deal. We like to be very creative with how we do things. Um, the only property that we have used a bank for is our personal residence. Um, and so we've done a lot of different deal. Uh, we've taken a lot of different approaches to financing deals from private lenders to seller financing to um, nonprofit lenders to hard money. Um, we've done a little bit of, of everything um, when it comes to putting deals together. Thanks. Cash. None <laughs> <laughs> at all. I want to talk about some individual deals. Okay. Um, we talked about the first deal. What did the second deal look like? Because now at that point, you have the muscle, you have the skill, you have the experience. What did that second deal look like for you? Yes. The second day was good. Um, it was still, you know, a bit of a learning curve because we weren't physically on site for the first deal. We couldn't learn as much about the construction side of things as we uh, wish we were able to. Um, but we purchased it, seller financed. Um, we put 50% down and paid the uh, remaining 50% note over three years. Um, so it was cash flowing with the tenant when you include all of your principal, your interest, your taxes, your insurance, your maintenance. Um, and a, a pseudo property management, just in case we wanted to put somebody in place. 
um, it was cash flowing. So that was good. As long as it was occupied. What was the, what was the condition of that property? Was that a, a major rehab, minor rehab? Not as my, I mean, not as major. Um, still needed some work, and there were some things that we found out after we purchased it that uh, we didn't quite go through our checklist as diligently as possible. Um, but uh, uh, it, it was it was still a, a strong deal after the amount of money we put in. Right. I think for us, like compared to our our quote unquote typical deals with the shelves, it would have been like a lipstick job. Um, maybe not everyone's lipstick job, but for us, it was it was lipstick. You know. Um, we did like a new furnace, some updated plumbing work, mm -hmm. and uh, some paint and carpet, really. A little bit of uh, some plumbing, like you said. Mm -hmm. uh, the roof leaked, you know, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. minor, and then within a month of us purchasing it, so whomever had it and gave it to us, uh, tried to get us a little bit. So we had to patch up the roof a bit. <laughs> yeah. No, things like that. Yeah, it wasn't bad. What's your plan going forward? I mean, you guys have 18, 18 doors. You managed 26. Mm -hmm. uh, is your goal to kind of do because I think what's interesting about your story is you have a combination of flipping and owning rental properties mm -hmm. um, and sometimes people try to do either or they try to just flip only or they try to just do rental properties only mm -hmm. um, is your goal to continue doing both going forward is your goal I mean do you guys have something you like and you just want to like continue to do what you're doing or like what's the what's the goal What's funny is it kind of, you know, it, sometimes it depends on what day it is, honestly. Like we have set goals, but sometimes when you talk about like, do you want to keep flipping or do you want to keep renting? It depends on what day it is and who's getting on my nerve, <laughs> nerves on that day every once in a while. Um, so having the 18 doors and having, in addition to that, another um, six flips going on at the same time, it's it's a lot sometimes, um, but um, I think that long term, and I know Khalil will probably talk about his his vision. Um, flips were, has always been more of my thing. I think he's been more so wanting to to focus more on the flip on the rentals. Um, but I think longer term, um, what I'd like to continue to do is let the data make our decisions. And so if if flips continue to make sense, then we'll continue to do them. Um, if rentals continue to make sense, we'll continue to do those. I mean, uh, in Baltimore right now, there's just an article that came out to say Baltimore is one of five or six cities where um, it's cheaper to buy the house than the rent because rents are so high. Um, and the, you know, the market's shifting and so you buy property values are really low and the rents are, are super duper high. So rentals from a data perspective, are still a, a really strong, viable part of our business. And we always talk about rentals as being the foundation. I know the flips are sexy and everyone likes to talk about them, but the rentals is what what really um, is consistent and keeps everything going. So I personally don't see us getting away from that. I think um, it's really about, you know, again, letting the, the data make our decisions for us. Yeah, I think um, I agree. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's very much, let the, the numbers drive our choice. Mm -hmm. um, as we continue to automate and, and build our team, there, there'll be less pressure on us to, to have to be involved in certain aspects that we may not necessarily are passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, so we can shift our, our focus and our, and our attention towards what our passions are. And as we're growing, we're only 30 and 29. So as yeah. we grow and we, we still try to figure out kind of where our passions are and um, what we enjoy doing, spending time together, spending time with our daughter, um, those types of things, we can, we will have the flexibility and the freedom to do it. Specific to real estate, um, you know, the, the development world is calling, right? So it's, it's um, larger scale projects, it's um, 
bigger contacts. It's uh, more more competent individuals who individually are are growing themselves and and looking for others to to connect with. Um, so being able to leverage those. Uh, uh, I guess partnerships and, and team members, um, and then ultimately, you know, do some large, very large projects that are meaningful and mm -hmm. um, noteworthy is is a goal that's in the foreseeable future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, to your point, also, I think, and that's the challenges because again, rentals is kind of our bread and butter. You know, that's that's what you know we're we built our business on, and that's what we when we started and continued to grow. We knew that that was going to be the foundation. Flips, and I think with rentals and flips, what people forget, as cool as flips are, flips are jobs. Like when you're doing flips, it's very active um, management. You're on the scene all the time. You're, you're, you know, every single day making sure, you know, every couple of days, but you're going to be on top of making sure that things are going because you're constantly racing the clock. You're racing, you know, the you're chasing the, the dollars and the comps and all that kind of stuff. And so... Um, you know, buying a block of properties is no joke, right? Um, and so I think if we decide to take a break from flips after we're finished the block, I think we've deserved every last second of them, um, to be completely honest. I'm sure, and again, like, well, we put somebody in place, that person yeah. can manage it. And we have a project manager and um, we groom that person to be able to, to lead those types of projects. Um, but it is, it's a very active, very, very active job. Once you're you know, before you purchase the flip, you're doing all types of work to figure out whether it's viable, whether it makes sense, which team members you need to pull in. Then you purchase it and you get all the financing together. And, um, you know, then you're managing literally day to day to make sure that things are moving as you expected based on what your timeline and your chart says. And you're updating your chart. Okay, I paid this person this much when, on this day. I owe them this much left. Uh, there's a change order, blah, 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 all the way to the finished product. And even after you sell it, there's a warranty, right? So right. it's <laughs> it's very much an active, active job. Man, there's so much in there that I want to ask you questions about. <laughs> um, we'll do. So, we'll do a part two. Yeah, <laughs> we should. I have a, there, was a there was something you guys said about, I want to talk about the block. I okay. want to talk about um, single families versus multi-families. Mm -hmm. um, so in regard to the single family homes, yep. you, well, you have 18 doors. What does that 18 doors consist of? It's a mixed bag. Yep. There's multi-families. There are single families. Um, we even have a, a house in there that we rent rooms in. Like there, it's definitely a mixed, a mixed bag. Um, that we kind of grew into. <laughs> yeah, kind of put it together as, yeah. the, as the deals came along. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of single versus multi, strategically, um, we've kind of taken a, a passive um, stance on moving away, shifting away from single family rentals yep. um, and more towards, if we're gonna do a rental at this point, multi just makes more sense. Yep. Um, there are plenty of large houses or uh, Maltese in Baltimore that um, that are available. So it just makes more financial sense. Um, it also makes more sense in terms of kind of what individuals are looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for us too in Baltimore, the the inventory of multifamilies is not super large, but the ones that are out there, um, a lot of times they need a good amount of work. We're not afraid of doing the work. Um, and so there's a really nice niche in there for us specifically 
Um, and so, yeah, we, we stopped buying single families and started to only do, um, do multis and we'll continue to go that route. But smaller multis, not necessarily like the larger commercial apartment buildings, which I'm sure is, uh, is probably in the near future, um, but, but definitely looking for more multis and singles. So you guys bought a block. Is, is that what you guys are saying? Or? We did, yeah. What is the, I kind of want to talk about this in detail because everybody talks about, quote, buy back the block and mm-hmm. they start these organizations and whatnot. Yep. And I think that it'll be inspirational for people. I think that it'll also help kind of show people um, what it takes to buy a block. So what is the block? What does it consist of? How big is it? How many units are on said block? And mm-hmm. uh, how do you find the block? And I mean... I want to kind of just go like super in detail. Okay. All right. You'll be the first one to get, get all of this, uh, this info here. So, um, so the block, um, the first is like, why we'll get through the how, but like why part of our reason for even doing this project was to demonstrate the possibilities and, um, really start to break down. Everyone always has reasons for why not. Right. A lot of people who are doing the level of projects that we're doing don't look like us, aren't our age. You know, it's not, you know, there's probably not many women, right? Um, And so part of even embarking on this whole journey has been um, the, the same reason that we started Charm City Buyers, was that we wanted to show people what possibilities were out there that there are regular people because we are regular regular right there are regular people out here doing really dope stuff that's pretty ambitious (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) thank you um but but there's people out there like doing really dope stuff and you know we wanted to be able to show like if we can do it if we can do a block of properties you can do your first one you can do your second one um so that's kind of the the one um, or the, the why, um, the how, so how we found it, um, we do a lot of direct marketing like everybody else. So I direct marketing, um, and we do a lot of networking. And so we knew that there was an area of, um, there was an area that there was a lot of renovation happening. Um, there were a lot of people excited about, um, all of the redevelopment in and around, um, you know, Johns Hopkins and there's a lot of commercial property over there and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we were doing direct marketing and actually somewhere else. And we were negotiating a deal for a property um, and he went with someone else or, you know, we got beat out for the deal or whatever. Um, And so we were following up and and holding on to the relationship. He's like, well, I have another one somewhere else. And so um, looking over there and we knew that if we bought that one, we would need to do more um, because it would have been, you know, one, one on the block. So we did research, found out who owned what, um, did another marketing campaign and were, was able to, uh, to gain control of, um, of five more properties. And then um, we've kind of done, we've done some networking where there are um, quite a few more that, you know, we can probably be able to um, to scoop up as well. In, so then, in the general area. In yeah. the general area. Um, and, you know, we have some other folks that we're working with that are working on other blocks in the area. And so it's, it's really become 
less of when you're doing when you're doing projects at that level you start to do more with partnering with local businesses you start to do more with um, going to the community association meetings and we're talking to Baltimore City and we're doing all of these things because it's it's much more than just flipping houses at this point right it's it's development it's redeveloping neighborhoods it's rebuilding um, trust with folks who live there it's you know rebuilding the the um, reputation of of that area of um, of the neighborhood and so it's it's been it's been a whole whole lot so anyway so we have um, so we have control of six we had gaining control of more um, we all we have like one side of the street um, we have all the vacants on that side of the block um, and so so we're, uh, man okay to kind of ask questions within the, the story sure this question is what does your direct mail consist of and the other is it sounds like the block was multiple transactions with multiple sellers so marketing so when we do direct marketing we actually we send letters or old school we send letters nice letter on nice paper we sign it we hand hand write them wait for the responses that the, the letters are relatively effective i'll tell you we about six months ago we got and we haven't done a we haven't lived in connecticut in quite some time um let alone do a marketing campaign in, in the area um but we got a call from a connecticut person who held on to our letter for about four years <laughs> said hey are you still interested in who are you and what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we, we do, we, we actually do really, we do really well with our direct marketing. I don't know, um, I think when, I don't know, I honestly don't know. Um, we've, we've sent out, you know, 40 letters and, and gotten calls back from, you know, 15 people. Like it's, the ratios are kind of um, out of this world, but I think it has something to do with putting a personal touch. Um, and so we're able to get a really great response on on those marketing letters and they're very targeted too. And I think that that helps as well as well. We're not throwing like blanket, you know, marketing campaigns out there. We're very specific in what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I think that probably helps with the return as well. Um, but yeah, it was just, we sent a letter. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny how the universe works, right? Whatever you put out is what you get back, whether it's positive or negative or neutral. Um, and kind of jokingly when we would speak with people they'd say so what's your strategy what kind of houses are you looking for what size what scope what areas and um when the area question came up we'd say anywhere right we're young we're ambitious i can run the east side and west side and north and south and get it done with however i need to but then after a while we're like you know what we need to start targeting a specific area so we can we kind of hunker down have a home base um, and and be able to plant some roots and build um and grow from that specific area and then Next thing you know, we, we have a specific area we have, that, we have our own. <laughs> that, we're, that we're hitting and we're targeting and we're known for. Yeah. That's dope. How did you find those people to, I guess, make offers to them and buy their property? Um, I mean, it was, yeah, we, we sent them. The same way, one at a time. The same way we do <laughs> yeah. any other deal, right? You, yeah. you go in, you look at how you evaluate it, figure out what's the best uh, you can offer. Um, you offer lower to give some negotiating room and then take it to closing. Mm -hmm. I think what's cool about you guys' story <clears throat> and what I've heard is that it's not that it's easy, it's just you gotta do the work. Yeah. So like a lot of people, they're looking for the secret, they're looking for the shortcut instead of just like 
running through the work. Yeah, you, right. kind of like you did the first property, then they get all the muscle and the skill and the strategy and experience that comes from work. Right, right. Yeah, you have to do the work. And I think for us, even when, because doing the work isn't always fun and it's, it's damn sure not easy, but I think for us having kind of the, our end vision and our end goal of, you know, whether it's about the, our legacy that we leave for our daughter or if it's about building, um, you know, confidence and, and wealth and sharing with other folks how you're able to leverage real estate to build your own wealth and your own legacy. If it's, you know, about building a massive empire, you know, whatever it is, you know, we are, we've consistently been very good at trying to focus on that rather than the everyday, you know, bumps in the road that you get as an entrepreneur um, and as an investor in real estate, stuff happens, right? And so not letting your highs get too highs or your lows get too lows and then focusing on the long game, I think is what has helped pulled us through from the times that we are tired. And, and I think that, um, you know, even having the two of us too, we're able to balance each other. One of us might be exhausted and the other is able to kind of dust themselves off and, and do that much more and kind of, you know, bounce back and forth off of each other to, to, um, you know, consistently still strive to pull ourselves to where it is that we want to go. Um, has been you know critical to getting through you know that first deal just like it gets us through you know everything that we have continued to do over the years and going back to one of your, your first questions being athletes is where all of that stems from mm-hmm. like you just got to put your head down you're tired you're winded you're breathing hard especially a sport like track yeah. there's no ball to distract you it's not fun right is <laughs> there's no strategy you're running in circles it's just <laughs> you and you're just running and yeah. your body hurts from your head to your toe and you're winded and you just got to get it done. So you put your head down or you close your eyes or you focus on your form or you take yourself away mm-hmm. to your happy place and you get it done. Right. There's no shortcuts. Yeah. The interesting thing about it is and why I think it's so cool to hear athletes that do well after they're done playing is like there's so many athletes out there that are probably sitting around thinking they can't do anything because they can't play a sport anymore. And so yeah. they have their whole life ahead of them where they're not in shape, but it's like, hey, so that same mentality to business, investing, whatever it may be, and you'll beat everybody out there. You'll out everybody out there. The difficult part is just getting through the learning curve. Yeah. They've been they've been doing that that one sport or that two sports or three sports, however many, for so long that they become so expert at it that they forgot that there's a learning curve. That when they were young, they didn't know how to shoot a ball or catch a ball or run or whatever the case may be. But once you once you get through the learning curve, you learn everything you need to do. You, put those old skills back to use and you're out of there. Absolutely. Like you always, you always kind of attribute things to talent. People think that it's a talent thing and not mm-hmm. a work thing. But I mean, hearing your story, it's like, maybe it's both. Maybe you guys are talented and you work hard. Mm-hmm. That helps as well. But because you guys said something about working together and leaning on the other person mm-hmm. when needed, but what's really dope is when you don't need it and both people are going full force. Yeah. <laughs> my question is, do you recommend the husband and wife team approach? Absolutely. Wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, thanks, babe. Seriously, no doubt about it. Even even when when one of us is tired in a specific area, so like say, for example, I'm tired of rentals, right? But I have enough energy and bandwidth and capacity to to run with with the flips. Because we have things automated, I can jump right in and say, okay, this is what needs to be done today. Let me call these people up and 
make sure it gets done type of thing. Um, we can do things like have conversations any time of day, right? About not only work, but about personal and about kind of building our, our dreams and, and what we're looking for and what our end game is. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a different perspective. When you, I, I can't even imagine being with somebody who I don't work with, um, who I don't, who I'm not growing a life and a business with because it's, I feel like there would just be a chasm, right? There'd be a gap. There'd be me coming home and I could complain about my day at work and then uh, she doesn't relate and then we go to bed, right? <laughs> because she doesn't know the coworkers, she doesn't know the people, maybe it's a different industry, who knows? Um, but being able to, to know that 110%, she knows exactly how I feel and what, what, what I'm going through and what I'm thinking and, and what the next strategy is, it's invaluable. I think what's been really great for us and even when we talk to when we're doing like consultation calls or something and someone calls and they're a couple and they're trying to figure out you know um working with their spouse or one wants to be in real estate and the other one's not sure whatever um the one thing that I always kind of come back to regardless is the value of striving towards shared goals right be it in real estate or or elsewhere right but having shared goals that two people are striving for together kind of fills a lot of um, those gaps. And I think that's, you know, something in in marriage, I think, is is critical. So I don't want to completely derail this into a whole philosophy on, on marriage. But um, having those shared goals together has um, really, I think, positively impacted what we've been working together and to get towards um, beyond, you know, being in business with, you know, my best friend and, and being able to come home and, and talk about work um, or come home and say, tonight we're not talking about work, right? Um, but having someone that understands not only where you're trying to go and what your vision is from a, from a business perspective, but someone who knows you as an individual almost better than you probably know yourself also helps kind of keep you on your tip top you know shape and and doing your best every day because you know that that person that you're working with every day knows you know what you're that the sky's the limit for what you can accomplish Ty consulting is offering free 15-minute consultations during the month of september if you are looking for information on how to invest in stocks or which stocks to buy if you are interested in investing in real estate and are looking for help doing so or if you just want to organize your hustle with a limited liability company, schedule your free consultation today by emailing charles at capitaltod.com or visiting toddcapital.youcanbook.me. What has it been like professionally? Like when you're out there and somebody knows your business partner is your significant other, like how has that benefited you? I think for, um I'm gonna speak to the perspective of a black man. Mm -hmm. I think for a black man, it adds credibility like almost nothing else. Um, just to be able to say, like, yes, um, my goal is to rebuild communities and I'm starting in my own home, right? Yeah. Building a nice solid foundation um, from which I, my family, my daughter can all grow from um, and then take that and and almost like start here and just kind of let it get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until um, you know you've you've successfully changed the community in a positive way. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I feel um, I feel like it's always been 
you know, really, you know, as someone who works with the contractors a lot, I'm, I'm usually, you know, on, on site pretty often. Um, I think them knowing that at the end of the day, you know, with us kind of playing good cop, bad cop all the time, like I'm gonna call Khalil, you know what I'm saying? So um, having that, that second person has always been um, really, really great. And people do get excited about seeing a young black married couple working and doing the things that we're doing. Um, I think that it, it not only adds credibility, but I think people buy into what we're trying to accomplish that much more and that much stronger because they know that we're doing it together. And I think that there's um, power in seeing two people, two young people like us doing what we're doing together. It's really cool. I mean, we, we've got completely different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and both styles work very well. They're very effective, but it's just it's different. Um, and some styles work better with other people than they do with some people. And the, the, the perceived escalation that Kiera was, was mentioning, being able to say, okay, um, you know, I'm not going to handle this. I'm going to let somebody else handle it. I do the same same thing. If I'm if I'm kind of in a bind or I'm, I'm talking to somebody and it's not really going anywhere, or I'm emailing, um, I'll CC my boss, right? And like <laughs> then all of a sudden things start to take a different a different stride. Um, so it's it's being able to to leverage, to respect, to give the space for growth, um, and um, and allow each other to to chase the individual and the group dream. Yeah. Do you guys think that you would have gotten as far as you are now? as individuals? Nah, I don't think so. I don't mm-hmm. think I would have. No, not in, not, no. <laughs> yeah, That's no. a hard question to ask because I kind of had a feeling the answer would be no, but I think it speaks to how much you guys have accomplished as a group. Yeah, yeah. And, and not to say that we wouldn't be successfully successful individually, right. Right. right? But I think if I think through our journey, I can think of, umpteen times that I would have quit if I didn't have him with me. You know what I mean? So I don't think that not even just like just saying no because he's sitting next to me, right? Mm-hmm. But really thinking through the actual journey, like how? Like how? Um, I have no doubt that you know either one of us would have been successful in our own right doing whatever else. But going through this journey on my own, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not Mm-hmm. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, no, I wouldn't have gotten as far as I am now um, without Kiera. I think uh, she brings a, a certain kind of um, both a pizzazz and a professionalism to the table that opens doors um, and allows me to kind of swoop in and, and try to charm with my smile and all that kind of stuff. Like getting getting in We have the a room, good tag team going on. Yeah, we, not gonna lie. we're pretty good on the tag team. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there was another point I wanted to quickly bring up related to that. I'll think about it in a second. But no, I don't think we would have, I, I would have made it that this this far without care. Our business is, is at a point now where um, I don't know everything that's going on, right? I don't know all of our property management rentals. I don't know who's living where anymore. <laughs> um, I just like, I, and there are things about our business that Kiara doesn't know also. Um, mm-hmm. So being able to, to watch the business grow to a point where it literally takes two of us to manage the entire thing and probably more. <laughs> right, plus our, plus our staff, right? Yeah, so it's staff. not, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, it's allowing us to, um, to truly and honestly say no. It's, it's too much for one person to manage. What are some things you're teaching your daughter about 
um, just like financial literacy, wealth and entrepreneurship and all of those things that might help other people. So it's, um, it's actually really exciting to have her on our journey. She knows we're going to mommy and daddy's houses and we have conversations with her and she understands that people pay mommy and daddy to live in mommy and daddy's houses, right? Um, and so she um, will learn how we, why we work the way we do because she'll see, you know, we'll physically show her sometimes if we have to, you know, for whatever reason, if we have to go pick up rent, literally, which we don't even do anymore. Yeah. But when we did, we would show her like physically, like, you know, this is why we do what we do. This is why we, we came to mommy and daddy's houses. This is how we earn money. Um, and so she, I think she's learns and sees that you work hard and you, you can, earn and be able to do things right you're able to um reward yourself like she's she's five right so it's very um elementary but i think it's important for her as someone who does have to come to mommy day's houses and she is complaining you know it's dirty and you know when they're construction sites um but for her to see kind of full circle the why um has always been really important and i think for any for everyone right you can't just do the work and you can't just kind of go through the motions. You have to understand the why behind all that, all of, of the grit and, and the grind that you do every day. Um, she has her own bank account that she goes, you know, she'll go to the bank with daddy um, and deposit money into her account. She, you know, has her little piggy bank and, you know, all of those little things because I, again, I think it's really important having entrepreneurial parents, first of all, and I mean, honestly, by the time she's five, well, you know, is, is just 30, I'm 29, right? There's a lot of, of room here, God willing, right? For us to continue to be growing. She's going to have to know how to deal with that kind of stuff. Right. And so her understanding, you know, having some, you know, financial literacy and understanding just the basics at this age gives her the room to continue to grow and understand so that she's not, you know, crazy at 18 because she has you know might have she will have a considerable amount of of assets right and and so we have to be smart about those types of things and and how and what we expose her to and when um but she's she's super smart so we um we try to share as much as we can with her um so she understands like business and money and all that yeah very proud of her um Love it to death. On on her own, she decided that she wanted to do a, a lemonade stand recently. Yes. Um, which was great. And it was a, a great experience for her. What we did not do um, is charge her for the expenses, but we allowed her to, to I mean, sell. I not charge her for the expenses. I'm like, come on, let's leave my baby alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, come on. Everything is age appropriate. And at that age, it's, it's more important to, to make her feel good about making a couple of dollars than it is to, to show her the realities of how much a business cost. Um, so, you know, it, she made some money and she was very proud to sell some lemonade to a few neighbors and um, really, really enjoyed it. But it was it was very much an initiative that she wanted to take on on, on her own. And we, we went to the supermarket, okay, what do you need? We well, need lemons, what else? Water, okay. Cups, you didn't think about that, did you? Okay, well, we need some cups to be able to put, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's very, um, very much taking our time and um, exposing her in a way that, reinforces the things that she knows uh, while also helping her grow in avenues that she doesn't. Yeah, she's a dope kid. She's going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, cool. 
Not that we're biased, but. <laughs> but we are. Because she's, she's pretty dope. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to ask a few quick questions. I'm going to try to speed through them. Um, the first question is what was your best deal? Best deal. Um, I'm going to translate that as the most. Um, I guess it doesn't, the best it doesn't, deal it doesn't have to be learning. Well, the well, I mean, you can translate it as you want because last I had somebody last episode and his best deal was he just made money sitting on the couch. And so best deal is kind of subjective because some people will say, oh, best deal is the, when, I'm, when I made the most money. Best deal is when I did this. So it, I guess it kind of would be up to your own interpretation. Like, what is your best deal as you interpret it? I think we're probably going to make it separate. Yeah, we'll absolutely give different answers. Um, my best deal was going into business with my wife. Ah! <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I think one of my my favorite deals we had one where um, we um, bought the property, sold the property, got hired to do and manage the construction of the property, finished that, put a tenant in the property, managed the property as a property manager, then sold the property <laughs> for for the person that we sold it to in the first place. So we like oh, had like pieces of the whole deal. Like it was like thinking about it, it just was like our property, but somebody else paid all the bills for it. But um, but yeah, we were we were in and throughout the entire deal. It was just kind of funny going all the way through and thinking back. Like we've had very many transactions with this property. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was pretty cool. But um, when you first answered it, the first thought that popped in my head was our first deal because. We just learn so much from it that we apply every single day. Yeah, it's got to be one of our favorites because it's what jump-started the entire thing. Right. Um, it's the only one I'm emotional about. That's the only only property yeah, I'm still emotional about. Yeah. Fortunately, it's cash flowing and there's some um, appreciation in the value of the property, so we can afford to be emotional. <laughs> the number. Uh, not like it's a, it's a yeah. bad property that we're emotional yeah. about. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a great property we're emotional about. <laughs> um, yeah. Who convinced who about real estate? Did you guys come to the realization together or was it somebody that had to do some prodding or persuading? Kara convinced me. And how did she do that? With her googly eyes. (laughs) 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 We have been poking around um, trying to figure out what we wanted to do and um, we had looked at one of those like red box machines. We did before red box was red box. You looked at DVD. It was like DVD yeah. now or something. It's funny. I was looking at those too. I was like, man, that could be a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm glad we didn't do it because then Netflix came. So yeah, it would have been a bad investment. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there are a bunch of different potential opportunities. What happened was we were both young. Um, we weren't going to go to happy hour every night. We were tired of just coming home and crashing on a couch. We didn't like thrive on TV and uh, we had already gotten a lot of our international travel in. Um, so I was like, okay, now what? What does life have to offer? Okay, well, we got a puppy, great, now what? Um, so then it was, okay, let's start something. I'd always been entrepreneurial. She had always been interested in real estate development. Um, so we jumped on a webinar and I learned a little bit about it. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. And she said, you wanna do it? Let's do it. I'm like, okay, let's do it, sure. 
and um, the rest is history from that point. So it wasn't it's much persuading. Very much convincing for me to, to yeah. jump in. Well, it was the data, like yeah, it was the data. It made sense. It made yeah. financial sense. Yeah, I think right. that's that's. I always ask that question because I think sometimes that's the the hardest sell, but the most important sell in, in certain ways is getting your significant other on board. And the way you do it is typically the numbers. Yeah. Like, I don't even, you don't really make that argument. You just show the numbers. Like, this is what we could have. This is what we do have. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. This is what it's worth. This is how much it costs to fix it. This is right. how much it costs. <laughs> this, right. this is how it aligns to the goals that we said that we have to accomplish together. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I didn't know anything about construction industry, nothing about real estate and valuing and any of those types of things. But I knew I could learn. Um, I'm a fast learner and I'm confident in my ability to soak in knowledge and, and apply it. So whatever it was that was presented, let's do it. What is your best real estate advice? I, I'll say, I said it earlier, but the first thing that popped in my head was don't let your highs get too high or your lows get too low. Real estate is cyclical. Real estate has, um, there's a lot of things that just come up and you have to learn how to navigate them and stay focused and just persevere through it all. Yeah, just keep going. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't stop, don't quit, don't think about quitting, just keep going. Reason being, there's there's a finite amount of land on the earth, right? But the population keeps increasing, increasing exponentially. Eventually somebody's gonna need your house. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. Just the sheer lack of resources <laughs> means that your property is gonna increase in value. And if you look over the last uh, hundred years, thousand yeah. years, like it 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 appreciates. Right. right. It's it's going. Yeah. Keep it's a going. long game. It's definitely the long game. Yeah. Um, a lot of people focus on on short, but but honestly, the people who are most successful in real estate are focused on the long game. 30, 50, 70 years out. I, we've got people who are in commercial development who are 65, 70 years old, and they're still going. They're still working hard um, and pushing their, their empires. And they're successful and they don't need to anymore, but they're still working hard because they're motivated and it drives them. Just keep going. Who is somebody that you look up to and why? For me, it's Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. I was gonna um, say you. I thought you were gonna say me, but this cool. Muhammad's cool. Muhammad, inspiration of guy, man. Like rest his soul. He was somebody who I, I had a chance to meet him when I was younger, um, and I was um, kind of breathtaking to see my my father's reaction to us being near him and, and take a picture with him. Um, so very. Um, very, very soft-spoken, but very, in, in his older age, um, but so confident. Just his ability to just look at himself and say, like, literally, I'm the greatest. And to put that into the universe and believe it at such a core level that nobody questioned it, and he became it, right? Yeah. Just like that type of sheer willpower coming from Kentucky and um, you know doing some mischievous stuff and all that kind of stuff that, that young boys get into. Um, not that it's an excuse, but anyway, um, just being able to, to to take lemons, make lemonade, and um, and create a life that uh, most people just dream about. I I don't think I have a great answer for this. Um, I'm the type of person that I like to I like to to take the best out of everyone and then kind of make it into something else. So I I really enjoy like reading and getting um, tidbits of information from different places. And um, I, I kind of idolize 
that more so than than individual people, if that makes sense. Um, So I don't necessarily have a specific person. I have like um, ideologies and and things that I kind of, that I believe in based on either experiences or things I've read or things I've, you know, heard or or whatever. Um, But I don't necessarily have like individual people that I idolize in that way. That's a good answer, I like it. What is your favorite business book? Favorite business book, ooh. Um, for scaling, I like E-Myth. Mm. I really enjoyed that one for, for scaling. The Millionaire Next Door is a good one that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically all about living a humble life, um, but with a fat bank account. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, True North is another good one. Um, and that's, it's teetering on the business side. It's not so much business, it's more about being able to find your own destiny. Um, and it's got some exercises and workbook activities to help you point yourself in your true north so that you're going in your, your the direction that you're supposed to go. I absolutely love, I read at least once or twice a year, Thinking Grow Rich, which again, I know you asked specifically about business books, but these are, these are all books that we apply kind of in our life and our business. Um, Thinking Grow Rich is, is probably one of my favorites. Um, around like mindset and setting your goals and um, being able to to you know get yourself to the level where you're ready to to achieve it and putting things out there that you want to receive. Um, I know Clover really loves the secret. Yeah, secret is is a really good one. Um, changes your mindset and just uh, changes the way you think and the words you choose, um, so that you're manifesting the life that you deserve. Yeah. Um, I forget the one about the monkey getting the monkey off your back or something. Oh, oh, oh. It's about delegating and, not, and being uh. an effective delegator. Art of War is another good one. I have a book of it's called something like the thousand um, thousand smartest things I ever said. Uh, just a book of quotes. And you just flip to a page, you find a quote, and you're like, okay. Now I'm ready for the day. Let's go. <laughs> it's those types of things that, that, you know, they're not all business. So sorry to not answer your question directly, but they're all applicable. No, I like it because the, the question is a business book, but really the question is, what's your favorite book that's not like some fiction or non show oriented? Something that complements the show is what we're looking for in those days. Awesome. Cool. So, last question. Well, second to last question is what does wealth mean to you? Wealth to me means um, freedom of choice. Um, I think that, and and it means uh, wealth is transferable, right? So, it's not only freedom of choice for myself, but freedom of choice for my daughter and my daughter's daughter, right? Um, That, yeah, that's what it means to me. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing in a different phrase. It's being able to wake up and do whatever I want. Um, you know, it's freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. Freedom in general. Um, I was watching a kind of tangent, watching a nature show and just like being able to watch um, the eagle like dominate its surroundings and just fly high and just have the freedom of choice to do whatever it wants. Um, it's, it's an admirable trait that unfortunately not a lot of people get to mm-hmm. um but uh now that's what that's what true wealth means 
Last question is where can people find out more about you? So definitely check us out at Charm City Buyers on Instagram, um, charmcitybuyers.com. Um, you know, we have many of our CCB fam will hit us up in the DM um, and, uh, you know, reach out to us and do consultations and take our classes and stuff like that. But definitely starting out Instagram is probably a good place to go. Very cool. So thank you both for coming on the show. Um, I It's so funny, like, I do this podcast for myself. I do it just to inspire myself and everybody else. We get to just <laughs> I learned a ton. I am challenged to do more and kind of just hop out there and take things by the horns like you guys. If you guys are interested in joining either of our investment clubs, email us at membership at capitaltod.com. You can also find us at capitaltod.com. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Todd Millionaire, signing off.